The Burrito Radio Show is brought to you by 2B1 Entertainment. Two B One has a game called None Is Perfect Billiards. It is a game based on points, stroke play, pretty much. Uh, you get to find out what your score would be in comparison to the pros. It's one of the better games that's out there, and it's new and fresh for the 21st century. If you'd like to be on the players list or participate in one of the games or videos, contact None Is Perfect Billiards at nipbilliards at gmail.com. Get on the players list and take part in the fun today. Hi, this is Elena Favreau. The next time you're in the La Mesa Village, stop by Sacred Sun, only 200 feet from the historic train museum. Our address is 8239 La Mesa Boulevard, and we are open from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., Tuesdays through Saturdays. Call us at 619-467-7073 for more details. Sacred Sun. Essentials for Life Balance. Welcome to another episode of the Burrito Radio Show. Today we are talking cycling, y'all. We have a couple of uh, super cyclists here. They're not just activists. We actually have one that actually trains on the pro circuit. Um, I actually came across one spiritual being one day out there at the farmer's market playing some music. And this lady right here, it was just what I call a, a health wizard person and actually has more to it than that. So please introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Josie Fouts and I studied uh, metabolism. I got my master's, quit that to uh, pursue a life of training and eating healthy. And her significant other... Taylor Warren. Uh, I've been racing bikes uh, the last 10 years or so. And uh, I'm just having a lot of fun training and eating healthy and just uh, using my body as a, as a source for like positive change, and especially in the cycling community. Okay, so I'm going to start with you first, Taylor. How long ago did you start getting into cycling, and what actually uh, influenced it? Who, who was actually your, um, I guess, you know, what what made you get into so, so much hardcore cycling? Yeah, so I, I got into it late in high school. Uh, I was about 17, and uh, I got into it because of my family. My dad, he uh, rode bikes, he traveled a lot. Hold on, uh, hold on, Taylor. We got some money going by really quick. I call this the money show. Whenever we hear the helicopters, we definitely are spending some money as taxpayers. Uh, ghetto bird. No, that's not the ghetto bird. That's just a regular bird. Surveillance. Okay, my fault. We have to do that sometimes. Oh, no worries. Taylor, go ahead. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I was saying I come from a cycling family. My dad raced bikes, rides bikes a lot. My uncle, he raced bikes uh, basically at the pro level. So I, I got inspired by them. They're what got me into it in the first place. And so you grew up in a family, and so you were pretty much uh, armored with the whole entire sport. Yeah, for sure. Like, it was around me. I would, I would see it all the time. 
so like otherwise, it, it's a sport that's probably really hard to get into for the average American. Why do you say American? I mean, it's uh, it's a cultural thing. It's not ingrained in our culture. There's a lot more barriers to entry for the sport. Whereas you look at South America, Europe, um, the infrastructure is better for cycling. People see cycling as like a, a mode of transportation more there, and uh, they get really excited for bike racing as well. So it's a little bit of like a cultural division with the sport of cycling in the U.S. So let me ask you real realistically, is it because of the size of the roads and the amount of automobiles we have here compared to other places that are more conducive for less traffic, much more safer travel, as well as less advocacy of physical violence sports? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, like, feeling safe on the roads is probably a big part of it. People don't want to get a bike and start riding around because they're afraid they're going to hit by a car. Whereas maybe in other countries with protected bike lanes and uh, culture that's used to seeing cyclists on the road, they're not going to, they're going to be paying more attention to a cyclist and it'll be safer and that'll get people more like into it. And I'd like to point my attention to Josie Bout. So Josie, how did you get into cycling? Ooh, good question. Uh, I got into cycling because of Taylor. Nice. And just because the cycling community is so giving and willing to help anybody get on a bicycle. Like it started off with me just using a bicycle for transportation. And then I met Taylor. And then he was like, hey, that bike is kind of old. Here, have this other nicer, newer, free bike that you can just ride because I would rather have you ride it than it sit in my garage. And it's just those types of people that made me attracted to cycling. Right, it became like a, a giving community more so than a, a barrier community. Exactly, for sure. Like in the sport of cycling, like when you're racing, you put in more effort than you actually expend during the race that you are ranked by. It's this, so I can see how that kind of environment will make you more giving to people who have less than what you're willing to take. So, like... And how long have you been cycling for? Uh, this is year number two. Year number two? Number two of training. So now I'm a sophomore, is how I feel about so it. So, <laughs> year number two of training, even though you were actually cycling before, but more for just transportation, right? Correct. Uh, yeah, and I make the distinction because I, when I was riding for transportation, I didn't think about how the bike felt, how I sat on the bike, the way that... I would pedal it. I just used it the same as I used cars, which is just on the gas and go. Right. <laughs> and you said only two years. So prior to this, what were you doing before this as far as like, you know, what was your thing as far as? Uh, before cycling, I considered myself a mad scientist. I was inspired by my mother's uh, lifelong struggle with her weight. And just because we didn't, she didn't know how to take care of herself. And she made it super clear to me that we still need to figure this out. So that became a passion and an interest in my life. So I got into nutrition at the uh, Ohio State University. Nice. And then I moved out to Colorado, got my master's in nutrition and immunology, another system in which is so complex 
that when you're like learning about the body, say in a anatomy 101 class, you when you hear the immune system, you're like, all you're told is that it has veins like the cardiovascular system and it's really complicated and that's it. But it's like, because we, we don't know anything about it or what we do know is so, it's, we're, we're making the foundation of what the uh, lymphatic system is right now. And it's amazing. It's, it's a chess game, like cycling is, it's a chess game. So obviously I went to the thing that we know nothing about and then I found myself in a uh, microbiome lab here at UCSD as a lab manager. So another world on top of um, what we already don't know, like all of a sudden we have this uh, great technology to um, generate and measure a whole bunch of different types of bacteria that live inside of us. So now that's a whole new world that we didn't even know about just because we didn't have the technology and I wanted to know what we knew. And it turns out we know nothing. That's the mad scientist, y'all. That might be your new cycling name. We might have our new cycling name, the mad scientist. So, so you're not just the average cyclist because what people cannot see is your physical form. Could you please explain a little bit about your physical form right now? Ooh, yeah, for sure. I would definitely, one, I'm letting you know that this is the best I've ever been fitness-wise in my life. I'm in the top shape of my life. So start with that image. Nice. And then uh, I'm about 5'2", uh, of Korean descent, but adopted. But if you really want to get super specific, I have the mono eyelid instead of the double eyelid. So I, or like heavy eyelids. Uh, I got one hand on the right hand side, but then no hand on the left side. It cuts out about like three inches below my wrist. And so you only have one hand that you can actually operate. You don't have another hand on your, on your, your left hand is missing. Correct. Could you tell us about how that happened? Uh, so just a quick, oh, okay. I mean like, you know, it, it, was it by birth or was it by accident? Ah, uh, birth. So yeah, you, you, were born, you, were born, you were born yeah. with just one hand, right? Yeah, but I like to make up stories about being in an accident. <laughs> we'll, we'll do that one, one another day. But you were born with one hand and so you've always had to, your whole life, do things with just your right hand without having a physical hand to work with. But you do have muscles in the actual left hand or left arm so to speak that's kind of what halfway down yeah um yeah i got i i would say they're called little nubbins so it looks like fingers right about to like pop up but they just stop right. and then so obviously i have like the muscles to move my fingers as well, which is a new thing for me trying to actually use muscles that I haven't used in 29 years right. or my whole life. So that's been kind of cool. Right. Um, yeah, I have, so it's also interesting. I can, I have like a wrist. I can rotate the end of my arm, which is unique to amputees in general. So this is what we're talking about. We're talking about two advocate cycling warriors. One who actually rides on the circuit uh, as we speak, correct? Taylor? Yeah. Actually on the circuit. And another who actually, because of her trainer, really started getting hardcore and actually 
you're actually going into, you're trying to, you're qualifying for a competition right now? Uh, yes, so I am training for the Paralympic Team Time Trials for Tokyo 2021. And uh, so because of my left arm and because of having resources like Taylor um, and because of all these awesome people who are just like, come on, ride a bike, worst case scenario, you just get really fit or and you get to hang out with cool people. Um, I have this opportunity to excel and become an elite paracyclist because there's less competition than say a whole bunch of uh like how big's your field taylor in uh, our could be race. Like 150 people in a race oh yeah we i at most in a national competition i'm actually scored against two people yeah we got two really awesome cyclist advocates here um, they're definitely what I call super healthy competitors, both in spirit and physical. We're going to take a short pause for the cause, y'all. This is the Burrito Radio Show. We're here with Taylor. What, you said your last name is Matt? Uh, Warren. Warren, Taylor Warren, and Josie Bouts. Yeah. Okay. Actually, the mad scientist. And Taylor, do you have a, a cyclist name? Oh, uh, yeah. They call me Killer Jewel. Killer Jewel. <laughs> Killer Jewel. We're going to be back with Killer Jewel and the Mad Scientist, y'all. Uh, this is the Burrito Radio Show.
This is the Poodle Dog Mom. And T-Dog. And you're, you're listening, listening to, to the, the Burrito, Burrito Radio Show. Have you ever wondered how the pedicab industry got started? You know the guys and gals that travel people around town? Well, purchase the book Pedicab Hearsay, available on Amazon.com, both electronic and hard copy. Get the stories today. For over 100 years, San Diego Shade has been covering windows all over San Diego County. Whether you want roller shades, cellular shades, shutters, you're looking for an automated awning to go over your patio, you want some exterior roller shades to block the sun out, we're the company to go to. We're located conveniently in Miramar area at 7354 Trade Street. You can reach us on the phone at 619-287-8863. You can also check out our website at sandiegoshade.com. I look forward to covering your windows soon. Can you hear the hum? Can you hear the hum? Welcome back to the Burrito Radio Show. It's cycling hour for all those cycling fans out there. Uh, you know, I'm going to be honest. I used to be a pedicab operator. And prior to that, I didn't really know that much about cycling. But since then, I recognize that it's one of those hardcore on your body type of thing. I don't know too many super overweight fat cyclists out there that's cycling as a professional. That's how hardcore it is. So because of that, I like to talk about actually the preparation for what you do. Josie, we're going to start with you first on this, okay? How do you actually prepare in your in your training as far as your diet is concerned? Uh, good question. Um, I do a lot of trial and error first. And then some note-taking, observing, and then I can figure out what actually works for me and my body. Uh, For example, um, some rides before, I want to do a little fast. But I want to do a fast on rides where it's a steady intensity, short duration, and I wake up feeling good, feeling full, feeling energized. Because um, you could have the same workout but feel different on different days. But then other days, I want to eat a whole bunch of oats, <laughs> like a horse, like a good horse. Nice. Uh, I do, so when I eat uh, my oats, I try to add as many like nuts and seeds, so chia seeds, flax seed, uh, we got sunflower seeds, we put pepitas in them. I put macadamia nuts, walnuts, we had... Now, is this like a juice, or do you just eat it the way it is? Oh, I just eat it the way it is. Yeah. Um, Add some cinnamon, add some mushroom powder, 
if I'm feeling fancy that day, feeling Oh, this good. is before you actually go out in your, in your training, or this is post, is afterwards? Oh, this is before. At least, like, two to four hours. Two hours is a little bit different than four, but that's, like, the sweet spot that works for me. So you don't eat too much fatty food? Uh, I, I eat some fatty foods, especially when um, I'm in, like, high hormone phases of my menstrual cycle or when it's coming down, like, the fatty foods. I, like, get the craving. It's probably because I need to make more estrogen with the fat, stuff like that. Um, so I do eat fatty foods. And when you train, how many miles do you train a day on uh, average? On average, I would say uh, 20 to 30. 20 to 30 miles a day. Yeah, and then if it's a really intense day, it will be under like uh, 15. And then if it's like a pretty low intensity but high volume, like I could get up to like 100. That's like, I think 120 is my longest ride. Um, like, yeah, just try to keep pushing it. Now, Killer Jewel, all right? They call you Killer Jewel, right? I think I'm the only one that calls me that, but yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that. I got you. I like, I like to mess around there, man. Um, so, what do you, uh, as far as your diet, what, what, do you have the same diet as Josie, or is it a little bit, bit of variance? Uh, it's pretty similar. I mean, I, I just eat to my nutritional needs, like, like what Josie was saying. If she's going to go out for a five-hour ride, let's say, she's going to ride like 100 miles or something that day. Then I want to eat a lot of carbohydrates. I want to eat a big bowl of oats, get some fruit, get some fiber in there. Or if I'm doing like a 90-minute ride that has like a very focused purpose, I could take a fast and just drink black coffee before the ride. Um, if I'm trying to like promote my body to use fats for fuel. Uh, so I'll do things like that. And then afterwards, uh, the same thing. I can tell like how many... Uh, calories I burned on the ride, so I kind of have to eat to meet those demands. You never want to be like in a deficit, especially if you're trying to build endurance or strength. Um, your body needs that fuel to like rebuild itself. So do you eat the same weight during a competition compared to training? I, I try to. I mean, I think it's important to do the same thing you would normally do, right? You don't want to like, your body gets set in a routine and your body knows how to handle and digest certain foods. And if you were to go to a race and just totally change your diet completely, then your body would probably respond in a way that you're not used to. And I, I guess my question would be, do you need to drink more fluids when you have the competition because of the intensity of it compared to when you're training? Uh, I mean, there's days when I train where it's like, it's harder than the race sometimes, you know? So if it's a really hot day, I'll make sure I'm on top of hydration needs and drink a bunch of water. Um, if I'm not riding that much and it's not that hot, then, you know, I don't, I need to drink as much water, but. Now, now normally, during this time of the year, you would not be in San Diego, California. You would be on the road doing your competition? Uh, most likely, yeah. I race, uh, I race the USA Crit Series, which is like, a Criterium is a very short circuit race in like the middle of downtown streets uh, that you race for a time. So I'm doing like 90 minutes around the circuit. So there's that series I'll race and then there's another series called the PRT which stands for the Pro Road Tour. And those are more like long distance races, uh, stage races which are back to back multiple days of racing. Um, each day is usually like 70 to 100 miles, something like that. So I'll do I do both those calendars. So I'm usually traveling for one of those events. 
but because of the uh, the little what do we call crazy madness disease Corona thing. virus uh, pandemic. Well, I'm, you know, I'm 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 a I'm a protester. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So they can call it whatever they want to call it, but uh, I I figure that you know there's when there's something that changes people's lives, you know, it's in a big effect. Uh, how has this affected your life as far as your training? It hasn't affected training much. Uh, my race season basically got canceled in March. Um, yeah, I did. I went out to Georgia and did, I did one race. I actually won a race out there. Hey, congratulations. Yeah, you. Thanks. <laughs> and then uh, we were going to Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, to do a, the first race of the USA Crip Stop. Right. And uh, a couple yeah. days before the event, it got canceled. And then... Slowly, as the months went on, like more races on the calendar kept dropping off. No, do you know anybody on your team that has gotten this sickness thing? No, I, I don't know anyone on my team. I really don't know any of my peers uh, on the racing circuit that have gotten it. Um, yeah, so it's. I think it's a little harder to catch it, uh, like in a bike race, than a lot of people think. Hmm. As far well, let me put it like this: because of your training, because of your diet. You're probably in better shape than 90% of the people that's out there. Um, what would you suggest for your average cyclist? What kind of diet should they have? Should they have the intense diet or should they just kind of like keep it, uh, you know, just kind of like uh, moderation? It, like I said, I think it depends on your energy demand. Like if you're going out for a, a huge day of exercise, you got to eat a lot of food. If you're not, you're going out for 60 minutes maybe like cut back a little bit try to focus more on like veggies and fruits things like that i think this i think the best thing is to keep it simple do stuff that works for you and your body eat foods you enjoy um and get a lot of variation like the variety is really important you need different sources of protein you need different sources of fats uh trying to eat different fruits and vegetables every single day and just sticking to stuff that works for you keeping it simple so, do you plan on going to uh, Tokyo if you have a chance if, uh, to go watch Josie and if she can get there? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I'll try to cancel anything I'm doing to go over there to support her. That's a rare opportunity, and, yeah, I want to, like, support her and help her do her best. Now, as far as, like, Josie, your time... Uh, in comparison to the world's best in what you're doing, how are you faring out right now? I've been at about 115% of their time. Nice. Uh, that's the way that we're scored in for Para. So there's like a national standard, which is based on the top three or five uh, times. They average it, and that's the standard that you have to... you, And then your time is divided by the standard, so you get that number, that 119 or whatever it is. Now, as far as, like, when it comes back down to the dieting again and nutrition, you do this year-round? Do you ever take a break at all to, like, kind of, like, spoil yourself? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, when, when, when do you do that? Uh, I mean, usually I'll do that if I'm traveling and racing a lot. You got to have, like, a day or two to kind of just forget about things and just uh, kind of just do whatever you want, give yourself that freedom. Not 
feel like you have to eat a certain way all the time. Like, sometimes you just crave a milkshake, right? So, right, right. you gotta go get yourself a milkshake. Right, right. Like, if I'm doing that once a month or a couple times a year, or like even a couple times a month, like, it's not gonna have a detrimental effect on my physical health, but it's gonna help me. But it's mentally. gonna help me mentally, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's all part of the balance. Uh, if I'm eating a milkshake, drinking a milkshake every single day, then that like that becomes an issue. But having the balance is uh, pretty important. Right. Same thing for yourself, Josie. Yeah, and I would uh, just to build on that, I would say that I like pick and choose my battles. So, for example, if I do want that milkshake. I'm going to put it at the end of an intense day, a high-intensity day, where I'm burning sugars, and then you have to hit your glycemic window, so then you can shuttle all those simple sugars to your muscles instead of your liver, and then you don't get disease. But you're fresher and more recovered for the next workout. So that's how I pick and choose. There's a, you've got to put the balance in. Um, so I always just find a way, like... I just talked myself into eating ice cream right. more frequently than not. So, like, that's the way I justify it, too. Are there any books out there that you rely on as far as, or do you, you want to, like, recommend for other people to help out with their nutrition? Uh, do you know of any books, or do you just kind of, like, just learn because you grew up in a cycling family? I think, um, like, having mentors, people in your community that, to learn from is really important. Um, people you can trust to like help guide you. I mean, there's a ton of resources out there for sure. There's uh, there's a lot of books, a lot of stuff on the internet, but it's hard to. It needs to be customized to the individual, so it's really hard to like look at information and just take that and straight apply it to your life because it's gonna be a little bit different than than what the author is speaking on. And are you in the best shape of your life right now? Uh, probably pretty close to that, yeah. Nice. Do you uh, have a, a time span of how long you plan on doing this for, both of you? Mm. Uh, I, not really. I don't want to cap that. I don't want to, like, put a limit on something like that. So until you pretty much burn out? I mean, if I do it right, I won't burn out. Exactly. Like, if I might, I, I'm not going to race my whole life, right? Like, at a certain point, you get out of your prime. Maybe something else comes up and you have different interests. But as far as pursuing a life of health and fitness I think that's something that's ingrained in me and something I don't have to fight against I'm not going out there and like agonizing every time I'm training I'm enjoying it I'm enjoying pushing my body to the limits and getting better so it's not something I'm battling nice. same as same thing for you Josie oh yeah for sure I chose this lifestyle like I went to the science to learn about health and what we don't know and I determined that quitting my job in order for more knowledge was not conducive for my health. Like for me to study circadian rhythm, I have to be up 24 hours, 48 hours to do collections, sample collections. Like I disrupt my circadian rhythm as I study it. So it was only a matter of time until like the detrimental effects of being imbalanced in knowledge and experience and what I'm reading, like Taylor said, you can read all you want, but like it's going to be different when you go out and experience it. So I quit learning about what we don't know so I could start having a balance and uh, with my health. And 
Like, I chose this lifestyle because okay, it's the best. Okay, some of these ingredients you just can't find anywhere. Where would you find some of these places, some of these things that you have your nutritional? Where, what, what stores? What, what, what places? Uh, I would definitely recommend Farmer's Market going straight to the source. Um, whole foods. Foods that look like food, which is hard, which is a funny sentence to say. Um, <laughs> but there are some foods out there that don't look like food. And, uh, I advocate for just, like, my favorite food, vegetables. They have all the super, they're all the super fruits. All the super foods, I don't know if anyone's noticed a pattern, but they're all fruits and vegetables. And that's, like, the thing that we've been trying to tell our kids to do since we were, little, yeah. yeah. Like, you eat your fruits and vegetables, you know? But for some reason, we just say it, and then we don't. Uh, I guess the same is true with Corona is proving, or Corona is proving that to be also true with hygiene. Wash your hands for 30 seconds. Cover your mouth when you <laughs> cough or sneeze. Like, are people just not, like, we, these are things we've been saying the whole time, but apparently we haven't been doing. So now I just do those things. Yeah. So do you have any suggestions on where people can actually find out some of the things that you're doing? Like, I came in and you're making hummus, your own hummus, right? And that's something rare for, for me to walk into somebody's place and all of a sudden, here, you want to try my own homemade hummus, you know, garlic style? You know, where can you get some of the, food, uh, some of the ingredients that you utilize in your food, in your nutrition? Yeah, I mean, we just, we shop at Sprouts uh, just around the corner. Um, it's nothing special or fancy. I think you just have to, like, I have a curious mind, and I really enjoy, like, figuring out how to make these kind of foods, and it, it doesn't take a lot of information. You can go out and find, you just look up a hummus recipe, um, and then if you have the equipment and the experience, and you just start playing around in the kitchen, like, you can, you can make some of these quote-unquote fancy foods that you get in a restaurant, like, at home. Uh, it just takes some time and effort, but I feel like pretty much anyone could do that. Nice. And so, is this kind of like your cool down session when after you get done training and you come in, you're preparing your food? Does it kind of help out with your cool down session? Oh, yeah, I would agree. Like, even seeing food, smelling it, it starts the digestive process. Like, that's why if you're sitting on the couch, and you just had dinner, but then you start watching football, and all these, like, food advertisements are going on. You're like, damn, I, we got to order some pizza. That's how it works. That's how we work. So, yeah, I would totally agree. Like, it's part of the cool down, but it's also a big part of the recovery process. And you can... So that's the other half to the strain, the stress, the training. Like, you can... Train and, and physically stress your body as much as you want. And it can be detrimental if you don't recover and you keep doing the same exertion or type of strain. But if you recover from that strain, you're actually bounce back, become adapted, and be able to push yourself even harder the next time. So, yeah, food's important for the recovery. Definitely, uh, we're talking how to really be physically fit to be one of the best cyclists that you can be. You don't have to be a pro cyclist, but just talking nutrition to keep your energy up, to be a person that can cycle for miles and miles and miles out there. Um, we're going to take a short break. 
This is the Burrito Radio Show. We have two fantastic guests today, folks. We'll be right back in a moment. Hi, this is Azul Jewelry, and you're listening to the Burrito Radio Show. Fresh food for the fresh body. What goes in fresh comes out healthy. Be sure to visit your local farmer's market. And trust me, you'll feel much better. Hi, this is Terry from Amethyst Moon. We'd like to tell you we're still here and open for business. We're located at 8329 La Mesa Boulevard in La Mesa Village. We have some new store hours temporarily from 11 to 6, Tuesday through Saturday, and we hope to see you soon. Hey, you guys, we're over here at uh, Marcella June's Coffee Lounge. Our address is 8513 La Mesa Boulevard. We sell uh, herbal medicine and coffee and tea, and we're working on a lot of community projects uh, to get some massage therapy going in with all this. Um, you can reach us at 619-504-9494. Uh, we're open Monday through Friday again. Please come on by. Thank you very much. The Burrito Radio Show brings you a new program titled Boxing is Life, brought to you by the fictional character Baba Zande for entertainment purposes only. This is Skull's Net Meadery, and you're listening to the Burrito Radio Show. And we are back out here in North Park. Trust me, y'all, this place used to be kind of, you know, crack villa, ghetto style, but now it's gentrified like a mug. But we're not really hating, that's just the way it goes. If you have the money, come and buy it. In the meantime, we have two fantastic guests here. They're advocate cyclists. We have actually one that's actually a pro cyclist. And his lady uh, actually is going to probably make it to Tokyo if all goes well in 2021. Um, so right now, I wanted to try to bring up something a little bit like a change-up, okay? And when I say change-up, I want to talk about some of the things that are listed on some of these products that you two don't really eat too much, okay? So I don't know how much you know about these products, but such as, let's take cold cereal. Okay, now cold cereal is a very popular product, especially among children. And they have all these fancy words on here, but most of the cold cereal and their vitamin B supplement kind of does not have the total, they, like they remove some of the natural nutrients and make it artificial. Now, why has the government done kept this, in your opinion, why have they kept this narrative of removing some of the actual substances that we need for our bodies in some of the foods that we carry, such as cold cereal, uh, canned food uh, with all the sodium, uh, the breads with all the crazy sugars, and, and why, 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 do you, why do you think the government has done that and not really made the, the total 100% healthy? Because it's cheap. So it's, meant, it's a money-making ploy. For sure. Yeah. Yep. 
in the seventies, the the, the, fear, the food pyramid came out, right? To like how to eat. Uh, at the base of that, you had your grains, which got pushed super heavily, uh, especially by the like cereal companies. Pretty much try to get their product out there. Like, so you're like tricking people into thinking cereal is something you need to eat right away for breakfast, gives you energy. But it's, it's all in one food, right? You get everything in, in one little. Yeah, but it, the milk but if and you look at it like from a different perspective, it's kind of just sugary dog food, right? <laughs> Where it's like it tastes good, don't get me wrong, but uh, it's so easy and cheap to produce. It's not real food. Uh, there's not like they strip the nutrients out of it and then add a bunch of sugar to make up for it. So um, my thing is this, okay? Since World War Two. Even maybe before that, but since World War II, we've been coming out with foods ready to eat. Like, you know, instant foods. Especially when the microwave came out. When the microwave came out, it even came more so. Like, you know, you just eat your food right then and there. Without worrying about where it was prepared from, what's in it, whatever. Now, now we have a society that is so overweight as a whole here in the United States. Do you think this has led to it? Uh, a lot of the processed foods, the, gen the gen genetically modified food? Uh, yeah, I would say that there's definitely a causation. A correlation. Mm, I, I would say, say causation. Yeah, like that's how strong I, strongly I feel. I would call that a causation. You make food, quote unquote food, um, that is so cheap and ready available for the masses that they would rather spend money or save money eating that food instead of real food. Food that comes, that you eat and looks like what came out of the ground or the stock or wherever it's growing from. It grows from something. It's not produced by something. Now, as the mind scientist I'm talking here, um, in, your, in your opinion, can we actually defeat these scientists doing this? Or are we always going to be subjected to what I call non-healthy food that are people making people not healthy and then blaming it on some type of what I call a media hysteria? Mm, I think it's idealistic to think that everybody is going to do the same thing. That's just not who we are in nature as humans. And... Bad food, without bad food, we wouldn't have good food. Um, I think realistically, that won't ever happen. But if we strive for that, I think, like, I could totally imagine a place or a country or a city or a town or a neighborhood that lives sustainably off the land and shares with their neighbors. You know, you have, like, the root vegetable neighbor crazy guy named Charlie. You know, he loves his root vegetables. And then he, but he, then he has like an overgrowth during his peak season, which is a lull in somebody else's season, and then they can support each other. Taylor, what what do you what do you say? I I, I, I agree with that. It's like you're always gonna have people trying to people are trying to make money at the at the uh, like risk of someone's health, right? So it's like you're putting all these foods out there and you're thinking about the profit instead of like what the effects are. But money becomes money because you make them unhealthy and they have to go see the doctor and they have to spend money at the doctor and they have to spend money on the insurance and they have to spend money on the grave site 
because their coffin is so big that they can't just have your average grade. Yeah, it's a, you're, <laughs> you're gonna pay for it now or you're gonna pay for it later. So like, why not spend a little bit more money to buy real food, right? Instead of. Just... And when's the last time you saw a doctor for for being sick? Uh, it's been like five years, probably. Five years. Yeah. Five years. Longer. What about yourself, Josie? When's the last time you saw a doctor because you were sick? Honestly, probably the same, which is also, like, the amount of time that we've been uh, knowing each other, like, ever since we met. I think ever since I met Taylor, I've grown healthier and healthier every day, which is exactly what I'm looking for in a partner. And I won't speak for you, but I feel like I feel it reciprocated as well. Yeah, it's a mutual connection. It's like I see Josie striving to be healthy and striving to feel good and be at her best. And that positive energy gets bounced back and reflected to me. So this is what I'm talking about, trying to say. So let's take it back for somebody that's not healthy. Somebody that has a, your average American diet. They like to go to their little hamburger joints. They like their little, you know, cheap alcohol or even regular alcohol. I mean, you know, beer. Uh, you, you have the people that are out there that would rather sit down outside where there's a bunch of cars and buses going by eating a plate of food rather than preparing their own food, knowing where it comes from. Um, the money thing is a big factor, correct? I think so, yeah. If, uh, if we as a society can't change and we stay unhealthy as a collective, do we see anything changing in this, what I call, hocus-pocus virus thing? Um, I actually think it would be interesting if we didn't change because as humans and especially being in San Diego we change a lot and so I think the first step is to make that change in the direction of us getting healthier rather than more unhealthy well that's what, I, that's what I'm trying to say yeah, okay? okay in other words if we were to get healthy, we wouldn't have to see so many doctors, right? We wouldn't have to go oh, see so, many, so much so, so much help. Yeah. So if the government and the FDA is allowing these companies to purposely allow them to uh, not put in the nutrients that we actually need to make them unhealthy, not to say that it's a conspiracy, but you have that person that lives off this diet going to the hospital to make sure that there's a, a system that's churning, uh, the money churn thing, compared to you two have don't go to the doctor hardly ever, right? You don't go see, uh, you don't have to worry about the insurance, right? You understand what I'm talking about now? Yeah. yeah. No, I think uh, obesity, as one example, puts a huge strain on society. Where it's like, not only is the person who's obese is affected, but he's affecting his community and affecting the people around him. Because he is like having to go see a doctor, uh, putting a strain on the like health system. On the, on the laws, right? Even yeah. on the laws, right? In the books. Yeah, I, I, find it, um, I find it fascinating that we as Americans here, we want to claim that we're the best, but when it comes down to eating, maybe we are the most eating best, meaning that we eat a lot, okay? Uh, I'm headed to Minnesota shortly, right? 
And I can only imagine going out there right now with all the cows and the methane out there. That's you know, it must smell a lot of cow stuff. All the people that want to eat the what the you know, they're not eating it right now because that's how unhealthy they are. But the chili cheese dog with the donut on top, and then they throw the peppers on there, and they have like little little sausage thing going off there, and they throw all that in their mouth and on a date and pretend like, oh yeah, by the way. Uh, I, I'm sick, I'm sick, I, I got this virus. Now, that's what bothers me about this narrative. You know, the, I would say, if, if there is a, one thing that irks me the most, is not educating people enough about what you two have talked about today. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And as a scientist, I take partial responsibility because we are so deep in it like, we have, we, like, we know these things. Like, the information is out there. The science is out there. But it's up to us to communicate it clearly to the pu general public, the people that don't understand as deeply as we do. But we just hire somebody and pay them money and tell them that they're good at doing that for us. We don't, we, so we can keep going and do the experiments and do the work. I feel like... That's why I'm here. This is, like, I have felt this since I've been in grad school that... But do they make this food an addiction? No different than any other drug. Is it an addiction? In other words, once you get on this, like, type of diet, is it really that difficult to get off? Uh, I, I mean... I think it's extremely difficult. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's like a... It's a drug. I mean, like, sugar is a drug. Fat. Like, how do you even define a drug? It's just a chemical, right? It's something that interacts with your body, and it's foods that you wouldn't find in the, in the, like, in nature. Like, you're not going to go out and find, like, a piece of candy that has 50 grams of sugar in it growing on a tree. So it's, like, this extreme amount of this chemical that is introduced to your body, and your body is supposed to re respond positively to that at first, because, like... Uh, you're in like a starvation mode like as a human your body craves sugars and fats because it does it wants to survive it wants the energy but when you get that overload it does a lot of damage um, over time right yeah and you get like you're you get used to that amount coming into your system so you like you need that to function in a way almost. so when you're a child let's say you're four or five years old and you have your average child weight but you continuous on this on this diet that's not that's malnutritious and all of a sudden you start bloating up, right? Then you start having health problems, right? Mm -hmm. More than likely. Hello, this is Ricky Elliott. I work under the umbrella of Primerica. And what we do is we teach families to earn more income, become properly protected, debt-free, and financially independent. My contact information is 619-867. The whole system, it's more than just that. The bones, the muscles, the joints, the liver, the digestive process, the reproductive process. Like, it affects everything. It's not just pick and choose what it's going, where it's going to go. Like, that's, that's the problem. I, I feel like... Nobody knew that this was going to happen. Nobody knew that making food for available for everybody 
Which sounds good, right? I, dis I totally disagree with you. We didn't know. I we totally didn't know the long-term effects because we didn't have the population to give it to. And that's the thing. is like, it's... Whether I scientists not know? They know what they're doing. They're putting Are you kidding? Because we're human. And just to let you know, the way that humans have progressed is by failing and being wrong. Because if we knew what everything, then we just would stop progressing. But we don't. We... That's why we can do this podcast right here, right now, and why squirrels can't. Like, they don't have the technology. They don't progress as fast as we do. No, but we talked about it before. It's about the money. That's why I come I feel like they know, because they know what Now people, we know. They, they know what people can be addicted to. No different than somebody saying it's March 13th. That there's a virus that's in the air, contagious. Trust me, millions and millions of people are going to die. Go into your house. Stop it, please. Okay? They know that the money was going to be made someplace. So let everybody start selling masks. Okay? Everybody stop doing this. Now all the people are not going to go to farmer's markets. We all got to go to grocery stores. We cannot go and get your own food anymore unless you're growing it yourself. No, they know that this is going down, in my opinion. Every, ever since... World War II and the meals ready to eat, they know. I think people who are good at getting money don't look past that first step, that money part. I feel like I understand what your position is, but I can also see a human being who makes mistakes and who is has already been so positively reinforced by getting all this money and love seeing that number go up that there is no limit for them, that they will just autonomously just keep doing that, not think any further past it. You're right, we have the knowledge, but they don't know. They pay somebody else to know, so they don't have to. It's disconnected from them. There's too many super smart, intelligent people out there to me to believe that they didn't know. Taylor, when's the last time you had a regular hamburger that you made yourself? Uh, I make some veggie burgers, but... <laughs> well, I you mean, don't, you haven't ate meat ever in your life, in your, what, ever since, not even when you were a child? No, no, I've, I, I eat, I've had a lot of meat, for sure. Um, I, I think as I've grown older, I've slowly decreased my meat intake. I think that's for, it's been for the better. Are you a, are you a vegan? Uh, I mean, not really. Not really, not really. No, I don't, I don't like, I don't even like to classify myself as like a certain pattern of eating. Um... I definitely try to limit animal products. I try to, mainly because it's hard to get a sustainable source of it. I, there's so much disconnect in, with people knowing where their food comes from. I think if people had to like murder a cow to get that meat, then a lot of people would not eat meat. But you the don't- hunter, The hunter-gatherer people, right? Yeah, you don't see that. You just go to a drive-thru and order a hamburger, but you don't think about like, alright, yeah, a cow got there. slaughtered yeah. for this and then heavily processed and like oh, yeah, it's happened in a different state and they're shipping it out here and putting it in like a little, now, little meat package. Now help us out. Do you feel like these scientists knew what they're putting in to make people the way they are today? Do you yes or no? I mean I don't think they cared. I think they I think they knew. Um maybe not at first. People have known for a long time now though. Yeah. And I I think they don't really care to like change that that message because of the money because it is like a drug right yeah for sure i mean like how many percentage wise i mean like estimate they say that we're the one of the most obese country in, in the world 
I think Mexico actually passed those last year. Really? Mm-hmm. Those refried beans getting them, huh? Nah, probably just that cheap-ass American food. <laughs> Ask again. <laughs> it's okay. No, um, uh, we're here with two cyclists who are very knowledgeable on the Burrito Radio Show. I want to thank them for, like, actually giving us their time and energy and some of their knowledge. Uh, the mad scientist here is going to Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully, if uh, are you how 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 is it the road to get there? I mean, what what's the what's the path that must take to get there? Uh, very much like Corona, it's not really set out. We don't really like. I don't. It's still, it's still up in the air whether yeah. they're even gonna have the games or not. Right? No, they're definitely gonna have the games, but for a person who wasn't a professional athlete who doesn't come from a professional athlete family, who has no history of being a professional athlete, who knew nothing about cycling as a sport for the majority of her life, it is very difficult for them to just become an elite athlete. For So since I'm para and missing a left hand, that barrier is reduced, yet it's still, it's, it's still there. It's not nothing. Is it the money or the training that you have to qualify as far as, like, the timing? Uh, or both? It's both. Yeah. Um, I guess everything comes down to money and time these days. Where do you get your funding from? I get my funding from a lot of great organizations, nonprofits, such as Challenge Athletes Foundation. I've written grants for the Women's Sports Foundation. There's, there's about an advocate group for anybody out there these days, which is amazing. And if they get enough support from the community, then they have money to give to athletes. Um, so that's how I get most of my funding. And then again, through sponsorship, like Taylor was saying, just for cycling, I have actually a, a, a proud of, amount of sponsors that have, so, that have taken a chance on me for again, not having any athletic background or career before. And if, they, if people want to follow you and your progress, where would they go? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is ms.stubbornness, S-T-U-B-B-O-R-N-N-E-S-S. -S. <laughs> it's a little play on words for my personality and my arm. Or in lack of hand. <laughs> Mad scientist, y'all. <laughs> Mad scientist. What about you, Taylor? Are you uh, getting prepared for next season now that the season's been canceled? Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm still training. I'll take. Uh, I'll probably take a little bit of a break, let my body recover, and maybe do some other things for a little bit, and then I'll start it up back up training again for 2021. Hopefully, fingers crossed, the season will uh, not get canceled. Um. I'm also working on some other projects right now. I'm uh, promoting a race in San Diego. Nice. Please talk about that just a little bit. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm working with a, a friend who, uh, he actually developed like a web page. Uh, it's called gpsrace.cc. Uh, it's somewhere you can go uh, to this web page, create a login for it, and you can either build your own race or you can join races that other people have built. So it's a, it's a really cool idea in this corona era where there's no racing going on you can build this race and host a, like a solo race so you make a course uh, you set different segments you can even neutralize certain parts of the course 
and then you can post it out on the web page and challenge your riding friends or buddies to see what kind of a time they can do on, on that unique route you created. Do they get trophies or is there any type of prize for that? Or? Uh, I mean, right now I'm, I'm uh, just collecting prizes from my personal sponsors to give out. I'm working with some companies to get some merchandise. Uh, there's a company, Sport RX, they make sunglasses. We're getting some donated sunglasses I'm going to give out as prizes. Um, now, these are not your personal sponsors for your racing, but just what you're doing for this. Uh, yeah, the the team is supporting me. They're uh, they're sending out products for me to give out, but this is kind of something I'm I'm putting out uh, like on my own, just trying to I'm trying to give the cycling community a challenge and something to do um, in this time when nothing's really going on. Now, are you gonna try to just keep this just for this year, or are you gonna try to maybe expand it out to maybe let's say like Phoenix or another place that has kind of conducive weather for cycling? Yeah, I mean, this is a platform you could you could use anywhere in the country or even in the world. Uh, if you know the area and you know the road, you can put together a fun course for people to try to race. Um, if you have incentives like money or prizes, that that's going to bring people out to do these races. Uh, and just I think just keeping it fun and giving people a challenge when there's like no other option, because otherwise, I mean, people are like turning to like virtual racing right now, like racing. I'm like a home trainer, right, like right. on their computer, and that's just not the way it should be, in my opinion. And if somebody needed to find you, do you have a social media, or do, you, do they just call it like the universe and Mars or something? Yeah, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at taywar92. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty active on that channel. All right. Like I said, folks, we have uh, two what I call hardcore riders out here. I want to give a shout out to another hardcore writer by the name of Peggy Graham. Much respect for you and your advocacy of cycling. Uh, definitely, she's a hardcore writer for anybody that anybody knows Peggy Graham. This is 2B1 Energy, your host for the Burrito Radio Show. I'd like to thank my two guests, Josephine, a.k.a. Josie the Mad Scientist Fouts, and Taylor Warren, a.k.a. Killer Joe. Um, <laughs> We hope to have you back again on another episode. Maybe we can go a little bit deeper. I know the mad scientist got a lot to say about the scientist part about life in general. So we'll catch you next time on the Burrito Radio Show. Respect on the oneness of Yahweh. It's still one motion, so ride the wave of life.
break your feet to the sunnest
That's to be one. Hi, this is Marcos Carvajal. I'm the author from Behind the Stick. And I wrote a book about uh, growing up addicted to gambling and playing pool and hustling. And uh, you can find this book on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. And I wrote this story to explain to you uh, how uh, the addiction to gambling can lead to uh, other things other than just playing pool and what, what your pitfalls and strongholds are. So I wrote this mainly for my children, but I hope you can enjoy this book. Thank you. Rain that happened last night here in Austin has wreaked a little bit of havoc on the jetway, the bridge that connects the terminal to the aircraft. So they're having a little bit of trouble moving it. Uh, hopefully it shouldn't take much longer. Just wanted to keep you updated and uh, appreciate your patience. Yeah, this is 2B1 Entertainment in Chicago, Illinois, on the subway. <laughs> 